In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. This is a CBC Podcast. Harv, what's all this ambiance? Where are we? We are at a bar called Pretty Ugly here in Toronto. But as you know, I don't like to drink alcohol. So take a listen. This is us drinking something different. So I'm going to have the Fomero spritz because he said you won't like that one. And you're going to have the spiced tempachi. Right. I, I hope that The drinks work. we were just ordering are non-alcoholic, but they're not mocktails. Because I hate the term mocktail. I hate non-alcoholic or zero proof. Like these are all comparisons to the, to the idea that alcohol is the norm, right? Uh, these sorry. drinks are called placebos. So what are they exactly? You know, thoughtful drinks that don't contain alcohol and that are more than sugar, juice, and soda. Very That's nice. Robin Goodfellow. He owns Pretty Ugly and is one of the creators of the placebo menu. I have stopped drinking yeah. because I don't like the taste. Uh, and uh, so, so why, why, why take in calories yes. when I don't like the taste? I'd yeah. rather drink pop, which I know it's terrible, but at least I like the taste. Yeah. So now you have just flipped it on its head. Yeah. <laughs> So, Harv, you're, you're really not Robin's target audience. No, no, not at all, not at all. But he was inspired by his friends who appreciate the flavors of alcoholic drinks, but who don't drink for lots of different reasons. You know, abstaining for religious reasons, pregnancy, uh, addiction, or previous addiction. I, wa- I just wanted them in, in my bar. I wanted, I wanted these people who, who don't drink to come and show up and feel comfortable because there's more to a bar than being drunk. There's music, communication, community, you know, dancing. One of Robin's main goals with this placebo drink menu was to decrease the stigma that people might face for not drinking. And sometimes the stigma can be the reason people ask questions. Questions like, why don't you drink? Yeah, like uh, the title of this here episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But before we get into this question, Elena, I am sure our listeners are wondering how these drinks taste. First reaction, you give spice to an Indian, the Indian is going to love it. (laughs) Uh, It has a unique taste, but it is really very, very delicious. But does it taste like alcohol to you as well? So, faintly, yes, but it's not a fruity drink. The placebo has worked on the team. (laughs) No, it is amazing. The taste is amazing. Awesome. Well, you finish that then. Don't let us finish it for you. Do you want some of mine? I will definitely give it a shot. Well, all right. That's enough drinking on the job for us. Back to the studio, and this time we can even drive. (laughs) I can't drive, Harv. You're going to have to do that. I don't have a car. Oh, no! (laughs) People are curious, and that's great. But there are some questions you just shouldn't ask, or at least not like that. I'm Harvinder Vadva. I'm Elena Hudgens-Lyle. And this is Inappropriate Questions. Let's get inappropriate. 
Harv, as you've said, you don't drink. If someone asks you, why don't you drink, how does that feel? Normally, it doesn't bother me. But sometimes it can become a little awkward, uh, particularly when you are in large group and you are the only one who's not drinking and it's a work-related uh, outing. I get the feeling that if you are not drinking, then you're not part of the clique. Right. Most time, I'm just chill with it. I can tell them I don't like it and we move on. And sometimes when I'm feeling a little uh, naughty, I just, <laughs> I just say I get very inappropriate after I drink. <laughs> so that shuts them down fairly quickly. Okay, because they don't want to see that. Exactly. Why don't you drink is a really interesting case. So we're going to treat it a bit differently than some of the questions we've been approaching so far in the podcast. We'll be speaking to a lot of guests who have different experiences with alcohol, and we'll see who finds this question inappropriate and who doesn't. Yeah, and who knows? People might fall in between, or our good friend Context might uh, be the star of the show yet again. Our first guest is journalist Anita Lee. Anita has reported for publications across North America. She is now Director of Communities at The Discourse. She'll be talking about her experience not drinking for her health. Can you tell us about a time someone asked you, why don't you drink? Yeah, usually the scenario is maybe after work drinks, uh, you know, hanging out with your coworkers or something. I might order something but not sip it. So people then ask me the question. I think when I was younger, I definitely probably just made up some sort of excuse or I said I maybe drank before or I was feeling full or I just didn't feel like it today. I would never really be upfront about the fact that I just didn't like it and it didn't sit well with me. What was pushing you to conform? I mean, or I, do you think everybody would want to conform at that age? Uh, the culture of drinking is extremely uh, pervasive, especially, I mean, like not especially in North America, but globally. So, uh, and it's it just, it's constantly, constantly portrayed as part of like a normal experience, like youthful experience. So it made me feel like I was a bit weird, which is why I didn't feel comfortable, you know, saying no. Mm. We're exploring the many different reasons people may have for not drinking. What are some of the reasons you don't drink? The foremost reason why I don't is because it just like it's just bad for my health. Uh, I get something called Asian flush, which is a lot. All you Asian listeners out there probably know what I'm talking about. It's when you just you get a, a extreme discomfort after you drink. So you turn red, you get flushed. In my case, like I have some like skin irritations that would flare up. I would never get the experience that everybody else had, which was like, you know, this fun kind of tipsy, like, oh, yes, like my inhibitions are letting loose. In fact, I would become more inhibited because I was really paranoid about the way I looked and just how I was feeling. And so I would be embarrassed. And I would just also just, the, I so I would go from sober to like either throwing up or sober to passing out. It was, there was never any sort of in between. And I, I mean this with with like, uh, like I'm pretty, ser I'm very serious about this. I'm talking like, I remember like getting sick off of maybe half a bottle of beer or something like that. Whoa. Do you think there are some reasons to drink or not to drink that are more socially acceptable? 
Yeah, for sure. I think my reason was one of the more uh, like less socially acceptable reasons, which is it made me uncomfortable, made me sick, which is actually kind of insane, right? <laughs> uh, like that's well, I don't care. Like you're gonna drink this and throw up, and just for just for my like pleasure or something. Please it, be sick. I know. Please be sick. It's it's insane actually when you think about it that way because people have this weird notion where they're like, we can train you, and <laughs> we you will learn. It's like a rite of passage to be able to get good at drinking alcohol for some reason, even though it'd be better to like pick up a hobby <laughs> or, you know. Like watching cricket <laughs> or even podcasting, a very, very nice hobby. I'm glad you enjoy it. <laughs> now that you are not drinking, are people making judgments about you? I just think the the judgments that I feared would be made about me was that I was not a fun person or I was like maybe hyper like hyper conservative or hyper religious or something when that wasn't the case it was just like just I just it just didn't sit well with me um but I don't think anybody really explicitly sh- like they would never explicitly say those things but they would definitely like shame me in very obviously subtle ways that were obvious basically and I wanted to ask you because you keep describing a work scenario has not drinking held you back from success at work I definitely feel that in certain context and in certain work environments like a lot of your success is predicated on how much you do drink or how much you socialize in those settings right so at certain workplaces I've been that has hindered me from moving up very interesting I do work too and uh, when we go out for drinking we are pretty clear on who wants to drink and who doesn't want to drink and if somebody says no you get a coke or you get a, just a glass of water and we are all fine with that mm-hmm. so i've never ever felt that pressure what you're talking about i mean i'm not going to speak on your behalf but i would venture to say that people would never pressure you because you're you're an older man who has like a like a feeling of authority around him i suppose i think when you're a younger woman like in your early 20s and stuff especially when you're impressionable i think it's easier for people to make you feel bad about yourself i don't know if that makes sense i'm not the only one who drinks less there are other people within that age group i was talking about i think that's very specific to your context is that right it, whether it's a school context or a work context and also just conversations i've had with my friends it's actually a very widespread thing which is why there's so much there's there's like so much binge drinking that happens among young people back to the question of why don't you drink do you think this is an okay thing to ask people i do think it's kind of invasive because you know nobody's entitled to know like why you make the decisions the personal lifestyle decisions that you make so i for people out there anybody everybody who's listening like don't ask that question it's it's kind of rude if i ask you well, why don't you drink have a drink and you say no i don't want to have it no why and you say i don't and then if i'm i i, I would at that point i would shut up but do you get offended that if somebody asks you why like it really depends on the phrasing like i'm just curious like why i'd be you know i'd be I'd be happy to explain it but if if somebody is coming at coming at you and being really rude you have every right to be rude back why not they started it <laughs> and you know if people are polite about it then it's your prerogative to decide whether you want to answer it or not you heard her first folks <laughs> be rude <laughs> to everyone yes that is exactly what i'm That's telling people that's the new name of the podcast <laughs> perfect So I found Anita's experience very interesting. My experience is somewhat different. However, having said that, now reflecting back, 
I have been left out in some of the invitations. Right. Because I'm not fun. Oh, no. They think but, you're not fun? Well, I guess so. Having said that, uh, I would still say that it is not significant enough for me to worry about. Right. What do you think about Anita's point that it's not your business to know why anyone else makes their life choices? Uh, uh, and it is absolutely true. However, we are curious. We are curious. And it's not always in an unhealthy way. Uh, there, There is no need to push for an answer. If somebody says that the second time, no, I don't drink, it should be good enough hint to back off. Right. Again, it is not a big deal. Perhaps for you, Harf, but maybe not for all of our guests. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, Harf, uh, you weren't in this next one, so you're going to hear me flying solo for a bit. Perfect. As I talk to Lauren Strapigail. Lauren's a reporter for BuzzFeed News, and she does drink alcohol. But back in 2016, she had to stop. And the break she took showed her just how alcohol was impacting different areas of her health and her life. Here's my conversation with Lauren. We read a personal essay of yours about a month where you decided to take a break from drinking alcohol. Mm -hmm. Do you want to tell us a bit about why you did that? Yeah. So the reason I I would love to say it was like, oh, I'm going to like try this and see what it's like to be sober. But it was because I was diagnosed with a stomach ulcer. Um, I've been waking up in the middle of the night vomiting for several weeks. And I was like, oh, I should see my doctor. She gave me some medication, but she was like, look, if you want this to get better, you should really maybe not drink and maybe don't have coffee. And actually been kind of considering going, trying to be sober. I was at a point where drinking wasn't feeling that fun anymore. And now that I am like over 25, um, hangovers are real now um, and they are not fun. And yeah, it just, it wasn't, it didn't feel as fun or as good as it used to. And I wanted to see what it would feel like to not. A great image that you wrote about that kind of sticks in my head was you drinking tea at like a soiree with some friends. And basically when people would come up and see you with your tea, you would explain the ulcer right away before people could even ask the question. So why do you think people feel kind of the need to know why you're not drinking when they see you there at a party with your mug of tea? Well, you stick out. I mean... It was interesting because I always felt like the social consequences of not drinking seemed like a bigger deal to me than like not being able to personally have a drink, like not be able to get a little tipsy. Um, at this age and in, in the social circles I run in, and that's what we do when we get together, we drink. So if you're not drinking, it's weird. Like you better have a really good reason for it. So I felt the need to be like, oh, I have an ulcer. I'm not like worried about my alcoholism or anything like that. I'm just, I have an ulcer. It's a little tummy tea time. Um... Are there assumptions that people made about you when you weren't drinking? I think, I don't think anybody did, but I think that's what I was worried about. That's why I felt awkward. I thought people might think that I thought I had a problem or like I was taking a step back because something had gotten out of hand, like I lost control of something, which is a really scary thing for other people to think about you. So do you think there are some reasons not to drink that are kind of harder for people to process or for yourself to admit to than others? Are there ones that people are more judgmental of or society is? Yeah, there's definitely a judgment of alcoholism because it's like, because to me, what I kept thinking, it's like it's an admission that you can't handle this very normal thing that everybody else seems to do healthily, which I don't think is true at all. 
There is a history of alcoholism in my family, a very strong history of it. So it's always, always been in the back of my head that that is something I might be more susceptible to than others. After this experiment was done, did you feel, has this changed your relationship to drinking nowadays? Is there something that lingers from it? Oh, so much lingers from it. I think I drink completely differently now. So there's a few like revelations from it. One is how alcohol affects my moods. So I actually, I'm actually bipolar type two. So my moods are pretty like, they kind of go where they want to. And alcohol can actually have a big impact on them in a way I hadn't realized before I was sober for a month. So after you have, I mean, alcohol is a depressant after a night out, if you've been binge drinking the next day, I was always really sad and down. And for some reason, I never made the connection that part of that was related to my drinking, which now seems so stupidly obvious. But it wasn't until I stopped that I realized, like, hey, maybe I'm happier generally if I drink less. Um, So I do definitely drink differently now. I still drink. But, for example, I don't drink by myself. Typically, if I'm going to drink, it's because I'm at a party, I'm out with someone, um, hang out with my girlfriend, whatever. But I, I never just go home and have a glass of wine anymore. Like, that's just not part of my routine. Hmm. And, yeah, I think mostly what I've learned is that I, I, I personally cannot treat it as this totally casual thing. Because I know how it affects me, I know how it's affected my family, and I have to take that seriously. We're talking on this episode about the question, why don't you drink? Yeah. Is this a nagging question? Is it inappropriate? Or is this maybe a good way to start conversations? I think it's not a question you should ask people. And this is something I've learned coming from a family with, you know, alcoholics in it, is that if someone's not drinking, asking them about it can be, sometimes it's an ulcer, sometimes they're struggling with something. And it's not your place to bring it up for them. If they want to talk about it, that's totally their call. Be in here for them. But you don't know how deep those issues run. And I think it's better to let people come to it themselves. If you want to read the essay Lauren wrote for BuzzFeed about her month being sober, it's called I Tested the Sober Waters and Didn't Drown. So far, our guests have brought up society's relationship with alcohol as part of their own experiences, but we haven't really broke this apart as its own thing. So for an expert's perspective on our society's relationship with alcohol, we reached out to Anne Dowsett Johnston. She's the author of Drink, The Intimate Relationship Between Women and Alcohol. Just a warning, Anne talks openly about her experience with addiction, which might be triggering to some. I've been focused on alcohol since I was a really little girl. My mother, unfortunately, was a beautiful woman who was a very severe alcoholic. And I spent my childhood thinking about alcohol and wondering why people drank. And then, lo and behold, in the middle of my life, I unfortunately got into trouble with alcohol myself. In my case, I didn't think I was anything like my mother because I was high-functioning, I was highly educated, I was highly successful, and yet alcohol became a problem for me too. I stopped drinking because um, I had been medicating depression. And when my son confronted me, when my partner, my sweetheart, confronted me and said, 
my drinking was bothering him, I actually took myself to rehab. And it was the best thing I ever did. The first thing you notice when you don't drink and you say you're not drinking is that other people start minding your business for you. Why don't you drink? Oh, come on, just have one. It can't hurt you. It's Friday night. Um, and usually I find that it's the person that has uh, a problem with their own drinking or a focus obsession on their own drinking that has trouble with how you're behaving. Usually I just fill my glass with something, make sure that I'm always um, imbibing something so that um, people don't pay attention, but people do pay attention. They pay attention and take it very personally if somebody says they're not drinking. My opinion is that we are alcogenic or alcocentered in our um, culture. I should say alcohol-centered in a way that we focus on um, drinking as our favorite drug. In fact, in Canada, 79% of those 15 and over drink, which is a very high proportion, much higher than in the United States. And we are basically um, peppered with surround sound messaging. And the messaging goes like this. If you drink the right drink, you will find yourself at the perfect cottage on the perfect weekend with the perfect friends. You will find yourself across the table from a perfect lover on a perfectly romantic evening. And no one ever shows the runny mascara or the sore stomach the next day or the sitting on the side of the bed wondering, who did you text and who did you call last night? Most of us think we don't have a problem until we do. And if we do, we are totally othered by society. It's a, a very complex relationship that we have with our alcohol. I get asked why I don't drink, less so than before drink came out and the whole world knows that I have a drinking past. Um, I don't have trouble saying because I'm an alcoholic, because it won't bring out the best in me. And usually people just, you know, look at me and say, that's very brave. Because a common reason not to drink is having a history with alcoholism, we wanted to speak to someone who's in recovery and hear about what getting asked, why don't you drink, is like for them. We are speaking with Kevin. For privacy reasons, we are not using his full name. He has been sober for over five years and participates in Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. Just a warning, Kevin talks openly about his experiences with addiction, which might be triggering to some. Can you tell us about a time someone asked you, why don't you drink or something similar to that? I guess it's funny because I did not drink when I was a teenager. And so I got that question a lot, went from the time I was 16 to the time I was 21 when I actually had my first drink. And I was going out with my friends to bars from the time I was 16. And they would always be, why don't you want to have a beer? Why don't you want to have a, a drink? And uh, I didn't because um, my father had a drinking problem. He wasn't a full-blown alcoholic at the time, but uh, he definitely had one and I could see the problems it was causing around our house. And uh, so I just said, I don't drink, I don't drink. When I was 21, I had a series uh, in the space of 14 weeks. My best friend from high school died, my mother died, and I was in a severe car accident. And I was lying there in the hospital and thinking to myself, 
you know, I've been a goody two-shoes and all my friends are out having fun and what have I got for it? Everything, you know, that was important has been taken away from me just like that, bang, bang, bang. So <clears throat> I decided when I got out of school or got out of the hospital that maybe I would try drinking. And um, so I did for a while and uh, it was fine. And then later on in life, it got worse and I crossed a line somewhere uh, where, you know, there's a saying, first the man takes the drink and then the drink takes the man. And that's pretty much what happened to me. And so I wasted 13 years of my life. And now when people say, you know, why don't you drink? I just go, oh, you know, I, I can't. I don't, don't want to. I, like, I never go into the reasons. I don't tell people I'm an alcoholic or anything else like that. I just shake my head and say no. And luckily these days, it's uh, it's much easier to say that when you're out. You know, people just assume maybe you're driving or you've got some kind of a medical condition. But it's not, a, it's not an issue for me the way that it was when I was 17 or 18 because then people were very aggressive. Why don't you drink? Come on, be a man. Have a drink. Mm. Why do you think people make less assumptions and are less aggressive with that question well, I these think days or now that you're older. We're much more aware, I think, of the negative effects of alcohol now in our society than we were when I was younger. I mean, you know, drinking and driving uh, when I was at university, uh, there were certain members of my fraternity who used to say, let's go drinking and driving. And uh, I mean, that actually happened. Um, Whoa. Uh, I, I honestly think society's uh, approval and, and attitudes towards alcohol have changed dramatically over the last 40 years. Could you take us back to the time you started drinking more heavily? What was going on in your life at the time? Well, I'd come home from work and I'd be frustrated at what was going on at work and, and frustrated about what was going on in other parts of my life. And at the end of the night, when I couldn't sleep, it was like, you know, initially, well, I'll have a couple of drinks. And you'd have a couple of drinks and you'd fall asleep and that'd be fine. And that's fine for a while, but your body develops a tolerance. You begin to drink more. As you begin to drink more, it begins to affect the rest of your life. Things begin to screw up more. You get even more upset. You get even more worried. And then you start realizing, oh, my God, it's because I'm drinking. And then, and then you're in this sort of never-ending cycle where it's like, if you're conscious and you're coming out of it, your brain starts to realize all the things that you've done and you get so filled with self-loathing and anger and bitterness and vitriol that uh, that the bottle is the easiest, fastest solution. So uh, at one point in my life, boy, if I wasn't numb, I was ready to kill myself. Uh, so, Kevin, if I'm getting it correct, then this was not an outside influence uh, for you to consume excessive alcohol it was more you who oh my pride which was excessive beyond belief refused to let me admit that i was an alcoholic refused to let me admit that i could not do this on my own the first night i walked into this meeting uh five years ago um and and said you know my name's kevin and i'm an alcoholic i felt this weight lift off my shoulders because all the lying I've been doing for 20 years, that I didn't have a problem with alcohol. Finally, I could admit I had a problem. And then once you admit it and you accept help, it's been relatively easy since then. I'm not going to say that I've never had cravings, I've never been tempted. It happens. But it hasn't been that hard. But it was getting over me. I was the biggest stumbling block. I was the guy that was stopping myself from getting sober because I was too proud to admit I was an alcoholic. What was the motivation to change? Was it your health? Was it your family life? Was it your career? Uh, actually, it was my my 
my current girlfriend who I've been with for almost five years. I was drinking when I met her. And we were supposed to meet, and I was drunk, so I was hiding in my awful apartment. And she came up and dragged me back to her house. And, and you know, we had a long talk, and I was like, are you going to live or die? Because if you're going to die, I'll take you back home. You know, I'll stop at the liquor store and buy you all the booze you want, and you can just go and drink yourself to death. And, uh, and that's when I realized, no, that's not what I want out of my life. I had a very hard time that first three days. And then when I could finally walk, uh, I went to my first AA meeting, and things have changed. So You're much happier now. Yeah, I am. And less stressed. Yeah, and, and I can sleep now because I don't have the guilt. I don't have the anguish. I don't have the torment. I don't have the worry. I don't have all these things that I had before uh, that were all gifts from alcohol. As, as they like to say in AA, you know, try us for 30 days. You know, if you don't like it, your misery will be cheerfully refunded. <laughs> Do they actually say that? Or they is this actually a... say that. Wow. <laughs> I love that quote. I love that quote. So. Since you stopped drinking, has your social life changed? You said you used to go to bars. Do you still do that? Um, we went to uh, Sandals couple of years ago, my girlfriend and I, and uh, I didn't really enjoy it. That sense of abandon that you have when you go out and you have a couple of drinks and things like that, that's gone. I, I, I just find it hard to have as much, when I'm out with other people who are drinking, I find it hard to have fun in that kind of way. So I don't enjoy going out to bars anymore. I don't enjoy going out. I, I, honestly, um, we went to Australia a couple of months ago and uh, most of what we did was hiking and, and nature hikes and going into the ocean and things like that. Uh, I don't think we stepped into a bar in three weeks that we were there. What are the best ways that you can support someone who is starting their process of becoming sober? Well, do they want to become sober? That's the very first question, right? Are they doing it because they want to or are they doing it because their wife told them, their boss told them? You know, their friend told them, their mother told them or something like that. But really, they want to keep using because that's the big question. You have to want to stop and that will has to be greater within you than the will to use. You know, we say in AA one day at a time and that's true. That's what it is. If, if you don't drink today, it's easier not to drink tomorrow. And if you don't drink tomorrow, then it's easier not to drink the day after that. Fight it today. Fight the battle the one day. Win that. Move on to tomorrow. And if you can get the person into that mindset, I think they can cure themselves from anything. But they need the support. For alcoholics out there looking for help or looking for those resources to get started on their their process to recovery, where should they look? What are some that you know of? What are some resources or places they can find help? You can get to an AA meeting. Um, there's other groups. There's a group called Smart Recovery that works on something else. Uh, there is a book called The Naked Mind um, that some people say is great at helping you. Um, uh, there's a great Reddit uh, sub called uh, Stop Drinking that I go to almost every single day and, uh, and try and help people out there. Um, but, yeah, it's try to get as many avenues of support as you can. Um, uh, depending upon where you are and, and what you want, there's something there. But you have to want it. That's the biggest thing. You have to decide. And there is no way you can be encouraged uh, to... 
Well, what do you mean by encourage? I mean, I had lots of encouragement. I had my my ex-wife crying. I had my children begging me. I had uh, I had friends asking me, you know, what the hell are you doing? I had people, I had doctors telling me, you know, this is, you're going to kill yourself. You know, I had all those people encouraging me not to drink. And none of it worked until finally I looked at the abbess in front of me and said, I'm either going to spend the rest of my life down there or I can make a change now. And and that's that's the moment. You know, we all talk about it in AA. It's like the moment when you, you had your moment of clarity where you realized it's either keep doing this and die, miserable and alone and sick and, and you know, without friends, without anything, uh, or stop and rebuild your life. And that's what I'm doing now. You know, it's not... It's still a work in progress, um, but it's gotten an awful lot better, and I'm much, much happier. So what I've understood from talking to Kevin is that alcohol can sneak up on you. Yeah. In his case, it was a perfect storm. Mm -hmm. He had some personal uh, tragedies and then work pressures, and just out of convenience, he tried to... Uh, take the help of alcohol. Right. A lot of people have described it as an emotional crutch. And not too long before that, he didn't even touch a drink. So what I am trying to understand here is that even though people have no such intentions, they may end up in that situation. Another thing is that Kevin never mentioned that it was not his fault. Right. Even though I've heard a lot of people describe alcoholism as a disease. And yeah, diseases aren't someone's fault. Exactly. And we are very quick to jump uh, to conclusion that it is somebody's fault. The stigma there is huge. Exactly. Having a difficult relationship with alcohol can be really hard to talk about openly and especially publicly. Denise Ewan is an actor and speaker. She went public to her thousands of followers about her decision to become sober. Here we are talking about that decision. Did you have any misgivings going into it? Were you at all afraid about being so vulnerable? No, I think I'm kind of past that now. I think that the reason for a lot of the substance dependencies I had in my 20s was really because I lived with a lot of um, shame and I like I hid a lot. And so that was those things were kind of my crutch to fit in. You know, alcohol is a social lubricant and all of that stuff. Other people are doing it, so I want to do it too. Um, and now that I'm a little bit older and I've evolved past that, I'm really very okay with really being myself and being honest and authentic about who I am. And Right. How did some others react to your post? Very supportively. Um, I had... This one gentleman who is in AA right now, and I just remember a lot of back and forth messages about how much he appreciated my sharing, um, and that's kind of why I do it, so that other people can realize that they're not alone. Right. You're an actor. You have to network a lot, I'm assuming, and with your various projects. You have to meet people. You have to go to functions, probably, parties, where there's alcohol everywhere. Mm. Um has your decision changed your social life at all? It might have changed my social life in that 
kind of awkward period of transitioning, but only because I let it. So, you know, I would be like, oh, I don't want to go to a bar because everyone's drinking or I don't want to go to a party because everyone's going to ask me why I'm not drinking. And so it was kind of all in my head. And that did affect my social life because I let it. So now I'll go to a bar. I'll go to a party. I'll go to where all my friends are at. I'll just order a soda water and uh, with lime and just drink it like a vodka soda and no one even notices. So yeah, on your actor Instagram account, you uh, specifically said like, don't stop inviting me places. I'm just going to be there with my soda or whatever. Yes. Having the same amount of fun as yeah. you. Did not drinking change your relationships with your friends at all? Yeah. You know what the biggest thing is that I've actually come to is that what I was very, very worried about was losing certain connections in my life. So having really close friends that I had bonded with over the years in situations where we were always partying and drinking and, you know, all of that and feeling like if I stop doing this, which is in essence a way that we bond, I'm going to lose all these connections. Hmm. And to this day, I, I have a couple of people that I actually can't really see anymore. Because that was kind of the basis of our connection, or at least the context of it a lot. And there were a couple people that I lost. But you know what? I have to choose the kind of life that I want. And if they don't fit into the, you know, the new person that I want to be, this more hopefully evolved person that I want to be, then, you know, the people who aren't aligned with me just have to fall away. So it was more than giving up alcohol. It was losing some things that were connected to that. Yeah, I think that might be a big one for a lot of people, actually, because for me, that was the part that was the hardest, was thinking that I would lose some people. And the, you know, my real friends that I really connected with on a level that was, uh, you know, so much more substantial and real, um, I didn't lose them. But there are some other friends that maybe, you know, losing that connection made me think twice about the kind of friendship that we really had. Is why don't you drink, in your mind, an inappropriate question? It can be inappropriate depending on what the intention is behind the question. So if the person is asking with judgment, then yeah, that's inappropriate. But if the person's asking just because they're genuinely curious about why you don't drink, maybe they feel like they can learn from that. Maybe they are secretly actually trying to move away from alcohol too. So I think more and more I'm meeting people who are curious about what that lifestyle is like. Like, what is it like to go to a party and not drink? And what is it like to not drink at all in your life, to not even have a drop of alcohol? Is it hard? Like, all these questions that you're asking me, I think that a lot of people, they want to know because all they've ever known is this culture of drinking. And if you're younger or, you know, are in a fraternity or something, you know, it's it's a culture of heavy drinking, right? So... I think sometimes people just aren't exposed and they want to learn things that they're not exposed to and they want to know if it might be a lifestyle that works for them. Shout out to all the frat boys who listen to this podcast. I know there are many of you. Apologies. <laughs> <laughs> So, Elena, after listening to all these stories, I have learned a lot. And one of the things I would definitely say is that when we start blaming the people who are having that addiction, 
Yeah. That is definitely not very helpful. Totally. In addition, the change has to come in within you. Until it comes from within yourself, it is not going to it is not going to be possible for you to get rid of addiction. No right. other thing will be able to motivate you. Overall, Harv, from everyone we listen to, do you still hold fast to your opinion that this is, in lots of contexts, an appropriate question? It is a okay question, but again, we keep coming back to the same thing. Context is everything. Our friend context. Yeah. We can ask that question, but then we should know where the limits are when we should when we need to stop. Right. I totally see where you're coming from. I think back to a time when, you know, I was talking to my little brother and I feel like I almost, without meaning to, pressured him to drink. He was turning 19 and we were going out for dinner and I was like, oh my God, are you going to have a drink? And he was a little reluctant and I didn't cool the jets. I was just kind of like, yeah, but like, don't you want to? And it eventually came out that he is worried about drinking because of the alcoholism in our family history, becoming like my grandfather in particular, who his family was really impacted by his drinking. So anyway, all that to say, maybe my go-to is going to be not pressing. Absolutely. And Absolutely. not kind of like digging into someone's reasons unless they openly share that with me. And that's not just for alcoholism. It's for or alcohol. It's for everything. Yeah. Let people be who they are. Just know your boundaries. Yeah, yeah. Boundaries is a good one. I was going to say, lay off. <laughs> Don't bug people. <laughs> Fair enough. Don't talk to humans. <laughs> I'm Harvinder Radwa. And I'm Elena Hudgens-Lyle. Thanks for getting inappropriate with us. Thanks to our guests, Robin Goodfellow, Anita Lee, Lauren Strapigail, Anne Dowsett-Johnston, Kevin, and Denise Ewan. The webcomic that goes along with this episode can be found at iqpodcast.com. This episode, it was done by Grace Bevan. You can find more of Grace's art at mostlyyescomics.tumblr.com. Follow us on all the socials at IQ underscore podcast and talk to us. We want to hear from you. The magical unicorns behind this podcast are Sabrina Birch, Aaron Garrett, Cindy Long, and myself. Thank you to our interns and associates, Noah Khan, PR Netta, Faria Ahmed, and Haley Krishman. We are supported by the Ryerson University Transmedia Zone. An inappropriate question is like being stuck in the middle seat on a long-haul flight. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.